If you ache for truth, goodness, and beauty, if you're hungry for a Christianity with substance and strength, if you long for a faith that's big and bold and biblical and all about Jesus Christ, if you're inspired by the idea of one church that has spanned 20 centuries, 24 time zones, and two hemispheres, enfolding every race, nation, and language, then you're considering Catholicism. The first book of the Bible is called the book of Genesis. Why? Well, there is a tradition of naming books with the first word of the book. In the original Hebrew, the opening word of the book is Bereshit. When it was translated into Greek to be published for the Greco-Roman world, the Greek word was Genesis. Now, in their respective languages, both of those mean beginning, because the book begins with these words. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, instantly, reflexively, the modern person has a hundred questions. What about other galaxies, other planets, life on other planets? Can we really be so narrow-minded and arrogant as to assume that the Hebrew book of Genesis, written by desert nomads a thousand years before Julius Caesar, can have the last word on the universe? Modern people find it laughable. The modern person points out that scientists tell us that the earth is four billion years old, that it was formed by slow-moving physical processes and affected by periodic asteroid strikes. The Hebrew book of Genesis never mentions any of that. The modern person snickers about the evolution of life, about the dinosaurs. Are we really supposed to take this Hebrew creation myth seriously? Well, this isn't about answering all of those questions. But we can't follow the story without at least acknowledging those questions and trying to make some sense of what the book of Genesis is telling us. But let's ground our understanding of the creation story in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, which is the compendium of the Church's official teachings. What does the Church say about Genesis and creation? Well, first of all, it draws our attention to the very first sentence of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The Catechism points out that three things are affirmed in these first words of Scripture. The eternal God gave a beginning to all that exists outside of Himself. He alone is the Creator, and everything that exists depends upon Him for its existence. The ancient Christian professions of faith affirm these truths. In the Apostles' Creed, we testify that God the Father Almighty is Creator of heaven and earth. The Nicene Creed unpacks that further. In it, we say that He has created all that is, seen and unseen. Notice that this includes not only the physical universe, but also the spiritual universe, the realm of angels and demons, heaven and hell. The Greeks had a word for all that is, seen and unseen, the cosmos. St. Paul tells us in Colossians that Christ is the creator and ruler 
over the cosmos. For in him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. The Catechism points out that the creation account in Genesis not only reveals what God did, create all things seen and unseen, but why. It has always been central to Christian belief that God is a God of purpose and order. God makes things for a reason. Things are ordered to a proper purpose. And so, the creation account in Genesis answers existential questions about the meaning of the universe. As the Catechism puts it, is the universe governed by chance, blind fate, anonymous necessity, or by a transcendent, intelligent, and good being called God? Genesis answers these questions. It tells us that God created the heavens and the earth, the cosmos, to the end that it would be in a right relationship with him. And he foresaw that ultimately it would come to completion in the glory of the new heavens and earth described in the last two chapters of the book of Revelation. God created all things so that they could be in loving union with him. And that's crucial to understanding the story that the scriptures tell. Because that was the purpose. All things were ordered to that end. When they became disordered because we disobeyed, the creation was no longer directed towards its proper end. And so God himself, in Christ, acted to reconcile, realign, and restore it. So, as the Catechism points out, the beginning of Genesis tells us what God did and why. But does it mean to tell us how he did it? Can we take its description of the process of creation seriously? The Catholic Church takes no particular position on the mechanics of the process of creation. The Catechism states that, quote, Many scientific studies have splendidly enriched our knowledge of the age and dimensions of the cosmos, the development of life forms, and the appearance of man. These discoveries invite us to even greater admiration for the greatness of the Creator, prompting us to give Him thanks for all His works and for the understanding and wisdom He gives to scholars and researchers." And the Catechism goes on to tell us that we have to appreciate that the accounts in Genesis are carefully crafted literary works that tell us what and why and give us insights into how. Because God and the creation are both real. So science will always be intellectually reconcilable with the truths of Genesis because reality can't contradict reality. So. Now that we've taken some time to frame our understanding of what the creation account in Genesis is intended to teach us, let's dive right into the first chapter of the story the scriptures tell with Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
Notice here that God created the heavens out of nothing. God needs no pre-existing raw material to work with. God is logically prior to his creation. He isn't part of the universe or the spirit of a universe that creates itself. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the face of the waters. The universe was at first created without form, a primordial soup of raw material that Genesis calls the deep and the waters, and the Spirit of God, His presence, moves over the deep, full of creative imagination and power. Just as an aside, that phrase there about the Spirit of God moving across the water is evoked in Luke's Gospel at the Annunciation, when we're told that the Spirit of the Lord moved over the Virgin Mary to create once again, this time by incarnating himself. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. Notice how God creates. He speaks, and it is done. God's word is the effective agent of his will. We think of God's word as the Bible, but the the scriptures are only the written expression of his word. The Gospel of John in the New Testament opens with two sentences that are meant to call to mind the opening two sentences of Genesis. John writes, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. The eternal word of God that John describes is the second person of the Trinity, the Son, who was incarnated in Christ. That's why Paul can say in Colossians that all things were created through Christ, his Son, the eternal word. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning, one day. Notice how God begins forming the universe by bringing order to chaos. He separates, he makes divisions and distinctions and spaces with purpose to be filled with purposeful creatures. Now, are these literal 24 hour days? Well, obviously not, because the Hebrews, just as we do today, measured days by sunrises and sunsets, and in Genesis 1, the sun isn't created until the fourth day. Now, the ancient church fathers weren't dumb. They recognized this point about the sun and the days in Genesis 1. The Catholic Church has no official position on the length of the days other than that God's word and the material world will always harmonize if we understand them properly. So, are these days, periods of time, like when Psalm 90 tells us that with the Lord a day is like a thousand years? Is each day a 
bazillion years or something? My own opinion is that the days in this chapter represent categories of creation, mysteries that express the logical sequences of God's creative work, regardless of linear time. God first created a habitable universe. Then he began filling it. On the second day, God keeps making these purposeful divisions. And God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament, and separated the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. And God called the firmament heaven. And there was evening, and there was morning, a second day. In the Hebrew mind, the primordial chaos is expressed as water. God moves across the chaotic waters, and he separates the chaos above from below. In so doing, he creates the firmament, the sky, in which the sun, moon, and stars will eventually appear. So the waters are pushed back to make room for them. On the third day, he divides the waters that are below on the earth into dry land and seas. And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the earth put forth vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, which is their seed, each according to its kind, upon the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, a third day. So, in the first three days, God has made three sets of spaces, light and dark, sky and earth, the seas and the dry land. All is done with order and purpose, because in the second set of three days, days four through six, God fills these spaces. On the fourth day, God filled the space of light with the sun and the darkness with the moon and stars. So day and night, a created order and a rhythm come to life. And God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years, and let them be lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. And God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light upon the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, 
a fourth day. On the fifth day, God fills the seas and the skies that he has made, everything in its place, according to its purpose, to its end. And God said, Let the waters bring forth swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the firmament of the heavens. So God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning, a fifth day. On the sixth day, the final day of his work, God fills the dry land. But he does it in two stages. First, he creates the land animals. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the cattle according to their kinds, and everything that creeps upon the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. You can see that repetition over and over and over again. Things made according to their kind. Because God is a God of order and purpose. And what we are to discover is what is our kind? What is our purpose? For what were we made? And to be true to that. True to the purpose that God made us for. Now on the second half of the sixth day, God comes to the climax of his creation. Man. And he gives man purpose. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, a sixth day. What does it mean that God created man in his own image? Well, 
at a minimum, it means that man has been given the very qualities that we have just seen God himself display. Intelligence, will, creativity, the capacity to act and make and do. Notice the mission that man is given on the sixth day. To continue God's creative work by organizing and cultivating the creation and to fill it by multiplying. Man is God's steward, his representative, made in God's image because he fulfills God's purpose by being fruitful in both work and family and bringing order and goodness that reflects God's glory. But the image of God means something else here, and it has to do with man being created both male and female. So we'll learn what that is in our next lesson on Genesis chapter 2. Join me for that. But first, there's one more day to describe. Now, technically, the seventh day occurs in chapter 2 in most of our English Bibles. So, this is as good of a time as any to mention that the chapter and verse divisions in our Bibles were not in the original manuscripts. The biblical writers didn't divide up their writings that way. Centuries later, when they were being copied and studied, scholars found it helpful uh, to add sections and notations so that it would be easier to find passages quickly. For reasons we won't get into, the seventh day got split into a different section or chapter. Regardless, here's how the seven days of creation come to an end in Genesis. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work, which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it, because on it God rested from all his work, which he had done in creation. There's a lot we could say about the seventh day. It's, it's great material for homilies or sermons. But it's not a matter of God being tired and needing a break. I think that the seventh day teaches us two things, and we'll close with these thoughts. First, remember that everything that God does is purposeful. And the seventh day shows us something very important about the purpose of the creation. God doesn't continue to keep frantically creating. He stops and he allows his creation to be. He blesses it for what it is. And he builds this into the created order, the very fabric of time. Because ultimately, creation is a means to the end of Sabbath rest, the creation at rest, dwelling with and reflecting its creator. Second, while God doesn't get tired, we sure do. Our lives require a rhythm of purposeful work and purposeful rest, and we need to be reminded that it doesn't all depend upon us. We do our work, and then we stop, rest, and let God bring things to completion.